listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. We're in part two of a series that we are calling Heart to Heart, Understanding God's Love for Us. Last week, uh, Brad was up here and, and he launched into the series uh, of describing what a heart to heart is. Um, it, it's not a dating series, if you were wondering, uh, but a heart to heart, if you've ever had one, is kind of like an interpersonal intervention. It, it is this moment of, like, hey, we got to get really, really real about something in our lives. Uh, we brought up these three uh, phrases that what is happening in a heart-to-heart, if you've ever had a heart-to-heart with somebody, uh, in these things, you communicate intention, uh, clarify misunderstanding, and then challenge wrong thinking. Uh, some of the couples up here, the arguments they get into is because they had a heart-to-heart and a disagreement about one of their hearts, like that. Uh, but if you've ever had to correct somebody or challenge their thinking, uh, communicate, clarify, all of these things. Every single one of us, whether you've ever thought about it or not, you've had one of these conversations of clarifying in a relationship with somebody uh, what it is that you really meant by something or challenging the way they're thinking, uh, communicate in the midst of a misunderstanding. But in this series, we're not talking just about your heart to hearts with one another. We're not even talking necessarily about uh, your heart uh, towards God. I mean, we're going to talk about that. But the main part of this series, if you've missed it, is that we're talking about God's heart towards you. If you've ever wondered what God's heart towards you is, I'm really, really glad that you're here tonight. Uh, College, I believe that college students are going to change the world. I work with high school students mainly, but they become you, hopefully. And college students are college-age students Y'all are in this season of life where you're not just questioning everything for the sake of questioning things, but you're considering uh, maybe for the first or the second or the third time why it is that you think the way that you think, why it is that you believe the way that you believe, because you want to get it right and you want to make a real change in the world. And so if you're trying to figure out what is God's heart towards you, what is God's heart towards the people around you, this is an amazing series for you to be a part of. Uh, I have a lot of heart-to-hearts with one person in particular in my life. Uh, I just recently, over the course of the last six months, became a dad. Um, And so the heart-to-hearts that I have are with none other than this guy right here. His name is Judah. Um, Judah, uh, he doesn't normally wear hats. Everybody say uh, hi to Judah real quick. He can't hear you. It's a picture. But uh, I love Judah, this guy. If you follow me on Instagram, you're really going to hear about Judah and Jesus. And so uh, and it's amazing. But I, I love him. Uh, but the thing about him is the heart to hearts we have, he doesn't uh, really understand because he's a baby. And so uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody and they didn't quite understand where you were coming from. Uh, really, I just wanted any excuse to be able to get my kid up on uh, the screen. But as I'm thinking through tonight and as I'm thinking through the things that we're going to be talking about, these are things that I really want to be able to tell him one day. Or I really hope that somebody, whenever he's in college or whenever he's a college-age student, I really hope that somebody gets on a stage like this and has the conversation about what is God's heart towards him? What is God's heart towards you? And with us last week, uh, we began in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and Jesus uh, is in the middle of conversations with um, several different types of people. He's in conversations with people that are under the impression that they're really close to God and people that are very clear are far from God. With people that would consider themselves to be religious and then people that would consider themselves to be anything but religious. 
I don't know where you fall whenever you think of yourself in your own mind, but uh, in Luke chapter 15, this is where we went last week. Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Last week, we talked about how the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people, that they operate under this system of exclusion. That for them, whenever they think about hearts and they think about God's heart, they're always trying to figure out, hey, who belongs in the family and who doesn't? Who belongs in the family? Who belongs in the club? Who belongs because they're enough and who doesn't? And the other people that are listening are the people that they would say, hey, they don't because they haven't. They don't because they haven't. They operate under the system of exclusion. Maybe this is similar to some of the followers of Jesus that you've experienced in your life is like, hey, these are the people who belong and these are the people who don't. And this system of exclusion. So Jesus actually begins to teach on this very idea and begins to teach, hey, I wanna tell you who belongs in the family of God. I wanna tell you about Jesus's heart towards people. And he does so through stories. He does so through these things called parables. And many of you, you've probably heard of parables before, but if you haven't, a parable is a story that isn't real used to describe something true that is real. A story that isn't real that is used to describe something that very much so is. And so Jesus tells these stories that he uses to try to teach, that he uses to try to show the heart of God. The first two parables that we looked at last week, it's the parable of the lost sheep. If you were with us, it's this shepherd, he loses this one sheep and the famous passage would leave the 99 to go find the one, to go find what was lost. And then there's this parable of the lost coin that whenever a woman, she loses this coin, that she would turn over everything to try to find it. Whenever she does, she rejoices. These two parables that we looked at last week that Brad walked us through are all these stories talking about, hey, God's heart in celebrating and pursuing after the thing that is lost. Talking about people, that the heart of God rejoices whenever he is reunited with what, with who was lost. And then at the very end of the message, Brad, he, he kind of teased out where we're gonna be going today. Uh, there, there's this first parable about the lost sheep and then there was the lost coin. And he began to tease this, uh, this story of the lost son. But I want you to remember uh, th this dynamic of who he's talking to. We bring back up that verse, the, the tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees and teachers of the law. On one side, you have Pharisees and teachers of the law people that believed that they had behaved their way to closeness with God, that they had behaved their way to be near and dear to God. And then you have another group of people, the tax collectors and the sinners, that they knew it and everyone else around them knew it, that if there was a way to behave your way to God, they certainly hadn't done it. And so you have this one path that wasn't enough and this one path, this one group that thought that they had done enough. And so this is who Jesus is talking to whenever he brings up this third story, this third story that we're going to be sitting in over the course of the next two weeks. And so uh, if you have your Bible with you, if not, we'll have it on the screens in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is the parable, the story of the lost son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, 
give me my share of the estate. We wouldn't know this living in today's day and age, but if you lived in the ancient Near East, if you're one of the people that Jesus is talking to, whenever he says this, it's implied that whenever the younger son uh, lived long enough and his father passed away, that he would inherit part of the estate, that he would inherit part of everything that the father owned. And so whenever the younger son, one, goes over the head of the older son, who who was supposed to even get more of the estate, but says, hey, I would love my share of the estate now. What he's communicating is, hey, dad, what's up? Um, I wish you were dead and give me your stuff. Like that is what he's communicating. And and I can't imagine if Judah said that to me. One, because those are real words. Two, that's mean. And so uh, the son looks at the father and says, hey, who you are is nothing compared to me in terms of what I value than what you have. So give me what you have and I'm ready to leave who you are. And so if anybody ever talked to you like that, uh, the immediate reaction and feeling of the heart that you would have would be either like mad Chad or sad Chad. Like my name's Chad and that's what I would be. I'd be mad or sad. Like I would be very frustrated. I know dad jokes, but I would be very frustrated in that moment. It's like, what do you mean you want it now? There's no chance that you're getting that. There's no chance that I'm getting it to, giving it to you. Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. It's crazy, but the father says, you know what? Here you go. You can have it early. Go for it. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off, set off. He said, hey, we're going on an adventure. I'm taking all my stuff and I'm leaving. The the audacity to actually take the dad up on this, to take everything that was supposed to be his one day and just leaving. He set off. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He squandered this word, he wasted it. This wasn't like he invested it into like a 401k or whatever that is. Like he didn't, he didn't do any of those things. He, he wasted it in wild living. For some of you, whenever I say the word wild living is like, what on earth does that even mean? He wasted it. Uh, scholars believe that this term was describing like he wasted it uh, on, to be quite literally, just drugs and alcohol and hookers and whatever he could do just to go feel to go experience, to go have fun, to get out of the being underneath his father's thumb and he wasted it on wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went out and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to fields to feed pigs. Now for us, feeding pigs isn't like uh, a common job. It's not like, I don't think you can major in that at UNG, but feeding pigs in this day and age, again, you gotta put yourself in the shoes of these people, whether you were a tax collector, sinner, Pharisee, teacher of the law, you hear that and immediately people would go, huh, that's disgusting. Because in this day and age, if if you understood the first part of this book, you know that pigs are unclean. 
that these pigs, they're unclean. They, they are not set apart. They, they are unholy. And so the idea of working with pigs, this would be super degrading. This would be super degrading in that day and age. And so you got to track with me the, the, the younger son, he, he takes everything and he wastes it. And now he's in need and taking a job that is way beneath him, living a life that is way beneath him. And he's like, hey, I, I, I just want to work with the pigs. I'm trying to find a place in this life. And then we continue and it gets even worse that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. Whenever the audience would have heard this in this time, they would have been like, hey, not only is it bad enough that you're working with pigs, that you're handling pigs, but no one's even giving you the things for them to eat. Do you know how desperate you would have to be in order to eat pig slops? Like, like I just want you to put yourself in that position, like, wow, desperate. Like, you guys got heart-shaped Chick-fil-A. And like, he got nothing. Like, they, he was so low that the people wouldn't even give him the things that they were feeding the pigs. That the pigs, the animals that are unclean, they are more deserving of this food than even you. And it's hard to put ourselves into that mindset. It's hard to put ourselves into the mindset of somebody that, that, that had wasted your life, that you like inherited this, these riches and that you just wasted it all and now you have to work with pigs and you're settling for things that people won't even give you. But if I was to ask, can you relate to what it feels like to waste, to find yourself in a place of need, to wish that you had done things differently, to have lowered your standards as a result of choices that you've made that you never thought that you would lower, for people around you to speak words over you degrading your value and to wake up one day and to look around and realize that the life that you have is nothing like the life that you wanted. And I guarantee you the day that the younger son set off on this adventure, he never imagined that he would be trying to get pig slops. I guarantee you whenever the younger son set off on this adventure, he never pictured himself in the place that he currently is. For some of you, whenever you set off on the adventure that is adulthood, you never pictured yourself going through that breakup as a result of some of the decisions you made. Whenever you set off into adulthood, you never saw yourself dropping that class as a result of classes that you didn't attend. That whenever you went to university, that you never saw yourself dealing with the weight and shame of decisions that you made that you never thought that you would make. Maybe for you that the story of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son, the wild living is a lot more like the story that you've been living and maybe it's not, but every single one of us know what it feels like to regret. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to have wasted. I know what it feels like to wish, man, I wish I could have that time back. I wish I could have that moment back. I wish I could have that influence back. I wish I could have that relationship back. Wasted it. And if you're at this point in the story, and I know that we've been reading a lot of this parable and you're like, 
Uh, what's the point? I feel bad. Like, I, like this seems to get really bad is like actually where we're gonna be going. And at this point in the parable, it begins to take a turn. And some of you, you've had this moment already in college, the moment that the younger son has in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. How many of the people that just are hired hands for my dad have food to spare? And here I am just being miserable. So he comes up with a plan. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He hatches a plan. He devises a plan saying, hey, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rehearse this and I'm, I'm gonna try and make my way out of it. Many of you, uh, I, I know that whenever I graduated uh, from college and I was trying to figure out somewhere to live with a job, it, it was very much like, man, could I just like struggle to be able to pay rent or could I go back to my parents' house? And it was much cheaper. And some of you, that might be the, the struggle that you're in. It's like, man, the prayer request that I have today is please let me get out of my parents' house. I don't know. Maybe for you, it is that you're in need and you're trying to figure out any way out of the situation that you're in. That's where the younger son finds himself. But there's something that is much deeper that the younger son is wrestling with than just, I made some mistakes. Now I need money. Let me try to get money again. Like there's something much deeper that's happening. And the thing that is happening within the heart of the younger son is something that has happened time and time again in my life. And I guarantee you, it's happened in yours as well. Um, I want you to think back for a second, uh, maybe to whenever you were a little kid or wherever you live, wherever you grew up. Um, I don't know if y'all ever did family dinners, but my family would do family dinners often. And whenever we'd gather around the dinner table, um, I would always sit in the same spot. Like if you were to ask me as a little kid, like the arguments that I got in with my siblings most often, it would be whenever that wasn't true. Like, I don't know if I trust somebody that like on Monday sits here and then on Tuesday sits here and then like changes it up. But it's like, no, every single night, Whenever we'd gather for dinner every morning for breakfast, I had my seat, Chad's seat, nobody else's seat. Like I had my seat. I don't know if that's true about you, but do you have that seat, right? Yes or no? Do you have a seat back whenever you grew up, right? And if not, you, somebody's getting punched in the throat. Like, I, like you got the seat that you're sitting in. This is my seat. That, that is my dad's seat. That, that is my sister's seat. Everybody has their assigned seat. That's how you know that there's peace and order in the world. And so uh, you have that seat. And life feels off balance whenever you don't have your seat at the table. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but the house that you grew up in, and if you didn't have a seat at the table, it's totally fine. A specific seat at the table, that's totally fine. But I want you to hang on to this for a minute. Those are some sweet years knowing where you belong. Any time in life that you know where you belong, that you belong, that you have your seat. Maybe for you, the seat that you're sitting in at TLR is the same one every single time. That's your seat. But I remember whenever I went off to college and I 
went, I went, attended the University of Georgia uh, and I didn't get to do that anymore. I didn't get to sit at the table anymore. I was, I was far off. And then I remember coming back home for Thanksgiving and my mom, my dad, and my two sisters were there and we got together for Thanksgiving and I, I hadn't sat at that table in forever, but immediately everybody went back to their seats. We knew exactly where to sit. We knew exactly, even though that we had been gone for a while, we knew that we had a seat at the table. And the younger son didn't necessarily go away to college, but he set off. He was distant. He was far. He wasn't just like where he was located was different, but the decisions that he had made and the way that he had behaved or the way that he had misbehaved was radically different than the way that life was whenever he had a seat at that table. And I guarantee you that he began to wonder whenever it came to the table in his father's house, do I still have a seat there? Do I still belong there? When I show back up, am, am, I, am I going to exist there? And, and I would be willing to say that the younger son, I don't think that he's under the impression that he belongs there anymore. Because he says, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Maybe you'll have me like one of your hired servants and I can at least be near the table. That I can at least have a place in the house, even if I have to work for it because he was under the impression that he had to work for the father's love, that he had to work in order to have a place, that he had to behave a certain way in order to have a spot. And maybe for you, you're in that place, that whenever it comes to you and your relationship with God, that, that there is some sort of work, that there is some sort of action, that there's some sort of measuring up that has to happen in your life before you can even sniff going near your father's house, let alone having a seat at the table. And what happens in the rest of the story, and maybe many of you know it, is fascinating. He comes up with this plan to tell him, hey, I'm no longer worthy, but could I be a hired servant? Would you mind taking me in? Like, I'll do work, I'll do work. And so he starts to head back. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, well, what would you be filled with? For me, be rage. For me, it'd be get even. For me, it'd be confusion. And I guarantee you that that would actually be true for many of you. Like if you grew up in church, like we know that the good right answer for God is like, oh, he's always loving, he's always kind. But think about this in terms of any relationship in your life. The ex that the relationship ended with because of something that was toxic. She sees you, he sees you from a long way off and is filled with regret, anger, Rage. Think about a friend that you never invested with, you were really selfish with, or a friend that's been really selfish with you. Eventually that gets old and you see them from a long way off. What would, 
emotions would you be filled with? Whenever you've been wrong, the emotion that you're filled with is wrong. Whenever you've been hurt, it's natural. And so for many of us, our gut instinct, the younger son's gut instinct is, man, my dad is gonna be so mad at me. Why? Because in any normal relationship in our life, whenever we have messed up like this, the relationship is messed up. It makes sense. That's not crazy. The good news is that this relationship, the relationship that is being told in this parable, the relationship between us and God is nothing like any other relationship that we've ever been in is nothing like a relationship that you or I have ever been in because where there should be rage, where there should be regret, where there should be confusion, there is compassion. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. This would be super embarrassing and weird in this day and age. It was, it was super informal for, for the, these men, for Hebrew men to run and to show this type of affection like this, but it, it, the father didn't care. He was actually sitting out looking for his son. And then the son begins to say the thing that he had probably rehearsed over and over and over again. But, father said to his, uh, but the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could give, even get out the words, Please hire me like one of your hired servants. The father cuts him off. He said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. What the father says is like, hey, you're not gonna be a hired servant. You're not just gonna be near the table. You're not just gonna be in my presence. You're gonna sit at your seat. Just because you left it doesn't mean that it's no longer yours. Just because you didn't ask, act like you had a seat at the table never means that you lost your seat at the table. Here's the thing that's true is that every single one of you, whenever it comes to the table that God has invited you into, you have a seat whether you know it or not. You have a seat whether you believe that you deserve it or not. You have a seat whether or not you believe there even is a seat or even is a God that has a seat. And your heavenly father is just waiting on you to know deep within you, man, I gotta go back to my father's house. Whether it is need that brings you to your knees or you just remember, man, there is something missing in my life and I need my dad. You have a seat at the table. And here's the amazing thing is that whenever you go back to your seat at the table, whenever the younger son went back to his father's house, we read this from the father, for this son of mine was dead and now is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. They began to celebrate, not that the son had completely turned his life around, not that the son knew all the answers, not that the son, it, what did the son do? He came home. 
He came home and what was the father's response? The father's response in the parable is the same response for me and you whenever we have wandered from him and our life has looked like we never belonged at the table in the first place. His response is always mercy and grace. That God's response is always mercy and grace. Mercy that you don't receive the punishment that you do deserve. Grace tacked onto that is that you receive a gift that you don't deserve, that God's response is always, hey, I'm not gonna hold you to probably what you deserve. And the ring on your finger, the robe on your back, the sandals on your feet, the celebration, the party that ensued is gonna be unreal, unlike anything that you deserve. Here's the thing about God's love, if you've never heard this before, is that God's love is unconditional unconditional, and this unconditional love, it operates outside the bounds of your behavior. It operates outside the bounds of my behavior. Because if my behavior could change the way that God loves me, then it wouldn't be unconditional love. It'd be conditional based on my behavior. I used to think that this story was uh, the story of, or not think, I, whenever I was first introduced to it, the name of it was different um, than the lost son that may be in your Bibles. Uh, but I had heard the word, the prodigal son. And I used to think that the word prodigal meant lost because it's a lost coin, lost sheep. Prodigal means lost, right? He is lost. He sets off and he's lost and his ways are very different than the ways that he once had. But if you look up the word, the meaning of the word prodigal, it actually means something completely different. It means recklessly extravagant and having spent everything. Recklessly extravagant and having spent everything. This story, it's rightfully called the story of the lost son, but it could easily be called the story of the prodigal God. Because Tim Keller, uh, he has this amazing quote uh, from a book, Prodigal God, that says that the son's reckless living is met with the father's reckless grace. Not unmeasured grace, not thought through grace, but what I mean by reckless is that whenever you're reckless, you don't care what happens. And the father's grace is so big for you and for me that it doesn't care what strongholds it has to break down in your life in order to be able to reach your heart. What is God's heart towards you? What is God's heart towards the people around you? Is that he will stop at nothing to know that you have a seat at the table. But there's something key that the son does. There's something key that we do. And it's not a behavior, good behavior, bad behavior. That's not what I mean, but it is something that we do. It's this word that maybe you've heard it. It's repent. He repents. Maybe you've heard the word repent from your sin and, and what that literally means, the word repent literally means to turn in a new direction. That the prodigal son, the lost son, that he was walking one way in life and he says, no, I need to walk towards my heavenly father. That I was walking in a relationship that wasn't good for me and it's like, no, I need to walk it towards my heavenly father. That I was walking in a way that is met in brokenness and shame and regret. And it's like, no, I got to walk towards my heavenly father. And when we turn a new direction, whenever we say, no, I want to move in the direction of God, 
because I believe not only that I have a seat at the table, but I believe in a heavenly father that has the authority to give me that seat. There's something amazing that can happen. John chapter one, this whole chapter is all riddled with some of the richest theology about Jesus and who he is out of the entire Bible. And in John chapter one, verse 12, we read this about those who have repented. They've turned into a new direction and have received Jesus. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in the name of Jesus, he gives a right to have a seat at the table to be a child of the Father. So if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Believe in Jesus's name, not behave into Jesus's family. Believe in Jesus's name, not just work your way into Jesus's family. And when you believe, and when you are a child, and when you have a seat at the table, your life becomes restored, your life becomes more full, your shame and regret loses its power, and you begin to learn how to live in your father's house. The behavior comes later. And some of you, you think that this is only about whether you believe or don't believe, and you might be sitting here going, hey, I've been, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I've been at the table for a long time. And I would challenge you. You may believe in the father that has a table. You may believe that you have a seat at the table, but for some of us, and this is my story in college, I fully believed in Jesus and I never wandered from that belief. But for whatever reason, I was just hanging out on the front yard. For whatever reason, I was just near a, a corner I wasn't actually sitting into the fullness of what God had for me. So the question I wanna ask you is simply this. In your life, in your heart, where are you relative to the table? Which is really asking, where are you relative to your heavenly father? Because his heart towards you, understanding God's heart towards you, is one that responds with mercy and with grace and is welcoming you with open arms. The father is at that table. The younger brother is at that table. But there's a third seat, a third seat that for the time being remains unfilled. The older brother, The older brother is nowhere to be found and he hears the commotion that is going on. And he begins to ask a servant, what's happening? And they tell him. And in verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And we'll pack, pick back up with the older brother next week in part three of Heart to Heart.